thousand miles from comfort We have traveled land and sea But as long as you are with me There's no place I'd rather be This is your time to lit up with Angela Breidenbach. Lit Up is lighting up the literary world with book reviews, in-depth expert interviews, and ideas for you to design a lucrative writing career. Expand your imagination to enhance your life. Lit Up is always family-friendly, always good for your heart. Now, here is your host to Lit Up, Angela Breidenbach. It is so exciting to have my friend Susan G. Mathis visiting with us on Lit Up. She has been the vice president of the Christian Authors Network, and she is a versatile writer and the author of The Fabric of Hope, an Irish Family Legacy. Now, this is really special to me because you all know that I love genealogy and that I'm studying it to get my degree. But Susan already has two Tyndale nonfiction books out called Countdown for Couples, Preparing for the Adventure of Marriage, and The Remarriage Adventure, Preparing for a Life of Love and Happiness. She's also the author of two published picture books, Lexi's Adventures in Kenya, which, by the way, I thought was absolutely adorable and suggest you get for your children and grandchildren. And she now has Princess Madison's Rainbow Adventure. Please visit SusanGMathis.com. And welcome to the show. Hi there, Angie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is really fun to be able to visit with you and to pick your brain, because that's what this show is all about, is picking the brains of experts in the industry and creatives to find out how they do what they do and what it is that makes them successful at it. But for me, I have a creative brain and a lot of people are like, oh, you're so organized, you know, but I'm only organized mentally. If you see my office, or even my home, you would think that's a true creative. It's everywhere. And you teach creative brain to analytical brain. And I'm really excited to kind of get into that with you and help people understand the flip side of a writer and what that's about in the business sense. But before we get into all of that, would you tell me, because I'm absolutely fascinated, tell me a little bit about The Fabric of Hope, an Irish Family Legacy. You know, you are the you are the first one that got me started on that when you me? were writing your quilt book. Yes, really? uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. I'm, yeah. I'm well, like floored. <laughs> when you wrote the book about quilts um, and came here to Colorado Springs, um, my husband and I came to to meet you and to talk and to listen to your talk. I, know, I fell in love with both of you. <laughs> well, when we left. We got in the car and I said to Dale, you know, I could write something like that. And I told him the whole story of the fabric of hope. And he said, well, write it. And I said, no, I swore I would never write fiction. And he goes, come on, you can do it. Try something new. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so you're the reason that I wrote that. Well, well if I'm going to be blamed for something, I really appreciate being blamed for inspiration. Wow. <laughs> I can't tell you how much that means to me because I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, you know, as I was preparing for this, I, I remembered all of that and Dale remembered and we laughed about it. Wow. But anyway, um, yeah. I can't wait to tell my husband tonight. I did something good today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
but the fabric of hope is really uh, my family story. My cousins and all were doing all kinds of genealogy. And my mother and I, she was, she deceased this uh, past August, but mm, I'm so she, sorry. thanks. She uh, t- was telling, I was gleaning all the history from her back this three or four years ago when I wrote this originally. And she thought that our family came through Ellis Island until we started researching my cousins. And then I did some research and found out that, no, we went, my family came through the St. Lawrence River and ended up in Canada, actually, as many Irish immigrants did. And so the whole, that just was an impetus to tell this story. So it's actually, um, historical and contemporary parallel storyline about an 1850s Irish immigrant and a 21st century single mom who are connected by faith, family, and a quilt. I love that because it's in the vein of Francine Rivers where she did the Scarlet Thread and hers was a very dramatic story. The concept was that there was a parallel contemporary and historical Right, And I really had the joy of being able to read hers a while back, but also to uh, have a preview of yours. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really fun to write. took a long time to figure out how to write fiction versus nonfiction, because mm-hmm. I've been in the writing and editing industry for decades and decades. My mother said I grew up. When I was two years old, I started writing by scribbling on the wall. Wow. But- <laughs> But I've been an editor at Focus on the Family, a curriculum writer at the Association of Christian Schools International, a literary teacher. Um, And so, yeah, I've had all this history, but it's always been in nonfiction. They're two different animals, aren't they? They sure are, for Mm -hmm. sure. It's like dogs uh, and cats. It really is very different. And so I read about six books about it and went to lots of conferences and workshops and started playing with it and then grew from there. And so it was a whole nother facet of using my right side, my left side brain and all of that kind of thing. Here's how creative Um, I am. I don't even know which side is the creative and which is the analytical. (laughs) Well, you know, we'll get into that. (laughs) Well, if you took biology 101, you would learn, you would have learned that your left brain is your logical, analytical side. Okay, that's a great way to remember. Left brain logic. Yes. It's it's where your reason comes in. It's where you put all your jot and tittle and, and your, all of that kind of thing. And your right brain is the creative, passionate, that's all your emotions and your creativity and all of that kind of thing. As women, we have we go all over. We're spaghetti. Yes, as you know. yes. And as our <laughs> friend Pam Farrell says. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, what was it? What men are men are waffles and women are spaghetti. Right. And so that really messes it with you as a as a writer and a creative to be able to not mix those two when you need to really be in the creative mode. And not to second guess yourself and analyze what you're writing in. And, you know, all of that kind of thing that stops that creative flow. And vice versa, when you're trying to edit yourself, that you're not thinking, oh, I could add this creative thing or I could. What about this? And, you know, be able to separate the two makes you a better writer. Probably makes me a better wife, too, because I absolutely drive my husband insane. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, <laughs> I have ideas like all over the place. Every time I have an idea, he thinks that that means that's what I want to do. Right. And all I want to do is talk about the idea. Exactly. And then I'm good because I've, I've created and now the idea is created and it can be put away forever if I so feel like it. But right. poor, right. poor left brain thinks that oh, there is a comedian who calls her husband left brain. He always thinks when I come up with an idea that that means we have to do that idea. And I'm thinking, oh, my glory, if I just want to share the idea. <laughs> right. Yes. You just got to get some of that creative stuff out of you. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. As I've done this workshop at writers conference and stuff. It's so funny because people will come up at first. I'll ask, okay, who's mostly creative and who's mostly analytic and nine times out of 10, the women are the creative, the men are the analytical. And that's why there were often in certain jobs and things like that. And the way we think the way we do the way we clash as spouses. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When, if you can, as a writer, if you can separate those two disciplines and learn how to hone those two, as a creative, oftentimes the analytic editor side is weaker and it's it's harder to get there and it's harder to separate that. I was the editorial director over nine different publications uh, for 11 years, nine at the same time. It was insane. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so I had to u- really use my analytic side to keep all those nine publications separate and keep all those balls flying up in the air. That's where I honed it. I honed it out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of creatives don't have to do that. So it, they find it really, really hard to do that. And so that's that's why we started talking about this. Because it's a, it's a difficult discipline for many people. Well, and I think it's super important that creatives understand the business side. And mm-hmm. I was forced to learn that <laughs> because, yeah, because I, I didn't get to explore my creative side until I was in my 40s. I had to be the you know mom who worked, and I you know I had my upper level uh, financial certifications I had business and supervision certifications and all this stuff I enjoyed my jobs but there was always something missing but Mm -hmm. I realized in going through what I did that even though I was raising my children and I was providing for my children and that was really really important it really gave me the blessing of understanding the business side of industry in a variety of different levels of business Mm -hmm. From being yeah. a, an entry-level employee to being mid-management to being a business owner and all those things in between, everything from a small business to a giant, giant airline corporation. So I felt like it was a really great opportunity for me that I didn't know at the time that I had to learn the business side of life. And that has helped me a lot in this creative world that's really me. But I yeah. think when we come into the next segment... I would dearly love for you to maybe help us put that analytical side to the test and begin to really help other creatives learn what does this mean? How do I do it? How do I learn it? How do I become logical when there's nothing logical about me? (laughs) That kind of a thing. In the meantime, Susan, can you tell us where we find you online? 
at susangmathis.com. I'm also on Facebook, Susan G. Mathis, author Susan G. Mathis. <laughs> Twitter is at Susan G. Mathis. Just find me at Susan G. Mathis. <laughs> and your last name is spelled M-A-T-H-I-S. Right. You can find me online at any social media at Ange Breidenbach. That's A-N-G-B-R-E-I. D-E-N-B-A-C-H. And we'll be back right after this break with Susan G. Mathis. We're going to explore more of how to put that analytical left side of your brain to work. Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to Lit Up on iTunes. You can subscribe also on toginet.com. It's all about having a more lucrative, creative career and picking the brains of experts that have walked those steps ahead of you. And be sure to share it with someone else that you know is really interested in building a lucrative, creative career. Has anyone ever said to you, man, that'd make a good story? Or you should put that down on paper, but you don't feel like you can do it. Those fears in your head, I can't let anyone read my stories. Who cares about what I have to say? Who would read anything I wrote anyway? I'm not special enough or original enough. If those are the fears flying through your mind like a plague of locusts, eating up your confidence each time you sit down to write, all those fears and more boil down to one problem, feeling unworthy. But you are worthy. God gave you a voice and all those ideas swirling in your head for a reason. To write them so that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can touch another person's heart. Let's tackle those fears together, because you are worthy to write. Pick up your copy of Worthy to Write on Amazon, in ebook or in paperback. It's from the Pencil Dancers team, Angela Breidenbach, Diana Lizier-Brandmeier, Liz Tolsma, and Jennifer Vanderclip. The Pencil Dancers are four published, best-selling authors who share their writing life wisdom each week on the Pencil Dancer blog, www.penciledancer.com. We want to help you know that you're worthy to write. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. Are back with our guest Susan G. Mathis, and she is our expert on creative brain to analytical brain. And I have some great questions for her that I think you all are going to appreciate. And one of those is: these are two different people in my mind: the creative writer versus the analytical editor. I mean, I hire an analytical editor, but you're saying we could be both. What do they look like? All right, let's just look at the creative writer as kind of a shadow of the creator God. The creator God is intuitive, expressive, emotive. The discovery process is part of that. There's emotion and energy and passion. You're looking at all those kind of things. I'm getting um, the, the warm fuzzies. You're just like, yes. <laughs> yeah. In a sense, as a creative writer, you're a conduit of birthing ideas. You enjoy the pregnancy and the birth process of creating something, whatever it is. And you love those free-flowing experiencing and producing it and all of that kind of thing. I totally lose track of time when I'm in it. Right. Just like, you know, I mean, that's how the creative God must have been when he created everything, right? Mm. 
Now, hop on over to the analytic editor, which many creatives freak out. Well, (laughs) think of it as the shadow of the Holy Spirit's work. As the Holy Spirit hones you and polishes you and cleans you up and nurtures you and all that kind of thing. That's what you do as an editor when you're self-editing or when somebody's editing you. You're analyzing, you're critical, you're decisive, you're consciously trying to craft something, fix something, work on something. Yeah, you know, you have all those kind of, of course, there's the grammar and the flaws and the viewpoints and the uh, order and the all of that stuff that you're looking at, but you're just like the Holy Spirit does the work in your in a person. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing on your the work that you're working on, right? Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of like you're nurturing and growing that baby who is your creative piece. You're helping that baby to grow up to be all it can be. So if you look at it that way, it's not quite so scary when you go into editing yourself. You're not slicing and dicing and killing and and shooting and and massacring your baby. You're helping it to grow up to be all it can be. I think that would be really helpful to writers who are so married to their words that they're unwilling to change them. Yes. And that happens a lot, especially with developing writers to look at it from that viewpoint and to take your hands off it a little bit and just let it grow up to be what it needs to be. The Fabric of Hope, mm-hmm. that can't, went through a lot. It went through beta readers. It went through a content editor. It went through all kinds of stuff. You know, it goes into print and you still see some things that editors didn't catch, you know. <laughs> So you, we all have flaws. You know, that's the reality of it. So you work and you work and you work and you do the best you can. And you let the editors, whoever they are in your life, to help you, help your work to be all it can be. Wow. I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at it. And I think it's very helpful to understand that we are able to release and give a little bit more and change. And I know when I'm doing the creative side, I'm doing more of a brainstorming style. I don't want to say buckshot because it's not. I will sit down and I'll, I'll write a skeleton outline. Mm-hmm. And then I'll free flow within that between, how do you say it? I'll write two or three sentences in a chapter, two or three sentences in the next chapter, and I'll keep going till I have the main plot points and then sure. I'll free flow right between those. Sure. And that right. is my creative side. Right. But then right. when I go back, I look at it and it's my editor side, I guess. I'm trying to put in the rhetorical devices. I'm, I'm trying to feel the magic of the words for lack of better word. You know, I don't know a better word for that right now. How funny because I'm a creative. <laughs> but it's on the rewrite. <laughs> Exactly. It is a process. It's a multi-layered process, and you got to let that happen. Um, and you got to work with it. And hopping from one to the other is so much easier. Like you mentioned, you go back and you do it. You go back and you fill in the, the logical stuff. And that's what we have to do. Some people do it better than others. Some... Um, some get into the weeds and then it ends up with four pla- pages of of 
minute detail that you want to just flip the next page and go back beyond it. Mm-hmm. That's when you get into the weeds. If you um, if you try to you try to make it all happen at once, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you you start to get really tangled up. You know, um, I love that you said weeds because we have miniature horses and when they go roll around in the pasture, um, they're having a great old free time, you know, but when they come back in, they're covered in burrs and they're really hard to pull out of their mane and their forelock and their tail. And it's really hard to brush those out. And it kind of feels like that sometimes when you're trying to make sure you've gotten everything right after you've gone and played and you come back and you have to get all the tangles out. That's Great word picture. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> yeah, yeah. You that. can come help sometime. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, what what is a good editor then? Yeah. Well, first, let me talk about a little bit about giving the types of editors because a lot of people mm. don't understand the different types of editors that are out there. That's a good uh, one. Whether it's a public, whether it's a periodical or that kind of thing, or if it's a book, there are different editors, different roles, and you never know where who you're going to be tangling with. Just <laughs> <laughs> to know what they are and what they do. So the editor in chief or the editorial director, mainly what it says, it directs the whole process. It di- directs the whole plan of what's going to be published that season, that publication, whatever. The managing editor gets into the, um, puts all the pieces of the puzzle together, you know, that kind of thing. So if it's a periodical, they're putting together each article, each um, different feature or ads, whatever. The senior editors, they mainly work on one big project, such as one book um, or one publication, uh, one section. There's section editors in larger um, periodicals and that kind of thing. There's features that there's also feature editors who oversee a certain repeating column. That's mainly for, of course, periodicals. Mm -hmm. Then there in the, as far as books, there's the developmental and the acquisitions editors. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're different. In this world, it's changing by the week. If I, if you listen to this, it might be different in 2018, which is only six weeks away. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's like so scary that how fast time is going. And it's Our the same thing when you're trying to meet a deadline, you know. Right. Exactly. So they, they're they the ones that get into your weeds and they pull out those burrs. <laughs> <laughs> and they should. And we are very grateful that they do. <laughs> you know, we the associate and the assistant editors are the ones that are learning. So oftentimes they will do a second read or a third read, that kind of thing. Um, a copy chief, mainly in periodicals, but also in larger publishing uh, companies, they are the ones that make sure that all your details and your facts are right, all the um, important information. The copy and the line editor, just like you said, it, it, it um, they do the lines, line by line. They make sure everything is spit spot. 
And then there's your fact checkers and your proofreaders who make sure that there's no typos or when it went to typesetting that it didn't jump a line, those kind of things. So that kind of gives you um, an idea of what the editors do. And then there are three levels of editing. There's the macro that goes through, generally goes through two rounds of the whole book or the whole periodical. And then there's content editing, which gets into the details, every chapter or whatever. And then there's the, of course, copy or the micro. And they're the proofing people and the copy editing people. So I hope that gives you a better idea of all the crazy people that are involved in your book or your periodical. And they they all come from different skill sets and different frames of references and viewpoints. And they all are there to help your publication become the best it can be because they look at it from different ways. When you smaller publishing companies, they might have just one editor and that person may, they're only looking at, looking at it from one viewpoint and that's their publishing um, philosophy and that viewpoint. So sometimes you don't get that wide range of viewpoints from all these different editors. So you can see how when uh, an indie author wants to publish their book and they're not aware of these different types of edits, how it can be glaring out in the professional world that that's a self-published book because yeah. they haven't gone through these different stages of preparing that manuscript for professional consumption. And it's a very difficult um, road to go alone. So I want to say to listeners, to creatives, regardless of what kind of thing you are creating, there should be other eyes on that before it goes public, whether it's a book cover, you know, and you're the artist, whether it is... Uh, you're writing and you're creating something, but there should be some other way of looking at your work to give you an objective view and ask you the hard questions so you're sure that you have dotted your I's and crossed your T's rather than dotted your T's and crossed your I's. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Stay right where you are. There's more Lit Up right after this. Has anyone ever said to you, man, that'd make a good story, or you should put that down on paper, but you don't feel like you can do it? Those fears in your head, I can't let anyone read my stories. Who cares about what I have to say? Who would read anything I wrote anyway? I'm not special enough or original enough. If those are the fears flying through your mind like a plague of locusts, eating up your confidence each time you sit down to write, all those fears and more boil down to one problem, feeling unworthy. But you are worthy. God gave you a voice and all those ideas swirling in your head for a reason. To write them so that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can touch another person's heart. Let's tackle those fears together, because you are worthy to write. Pick up your copy of Worthy to Write on Amazon in ebook or in paperback. It's from the Pencil Dancers team, Angela Breidenbach, Diana Lizier-Brandmeier, Liz Tolsma, and Jennifer Vanderclip. The Pencil Dancers are four published best-selling authors who share their writing life wisdom each week on the Pencil Dancer blog. 
www.PencilDancer.com. We want to help you know that you're worthy to write. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. Well, I don't know if you all are as fascinated as I am with this interview with Susan G. Mathis, but creative brain to analytical brain is an awesome topic for any creative to explore. And now I want to ask you, Susan, what's a good editor? (laughs) Uh, Yes, you can get good editors. You can get bad editors. You can get really ugly editors. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say I've really enjoyed my editors. I, you know, I've worked with um, editors for Barber Publishing the most. And Mm -hmm. the, I have one, her name is Ellen Tarver. I want to do a shout out to her because she has done four of mine already with Barbara and her questions are really, really good and really insightful. And sometimes her questions come across as, you know, I did one, I did Lassoed by Marriage, which was the story of my grandparents and I just moved it by 30 years to make it more historical. So it's set in 1889, 1900. And my grandmother was Swedish and there was a lot of like Swedish customs that were in our household that until I grew up, I didn't realize were specific to that type of a, an upbringing. And my grandfather, you know, being so much older and, you know, he was uh, 80 when I was born, there was also some antiquity in our lives. And so learning those kinds of things, I didn't realize it was different than somebody else's background until I became an adult. And in writing their story, I wrote what I knew. And I wrote some of the customs and things that we did in our in that household because I had actually asked my grandparents about it. Being that creative, I was curious. I asked the questions. Exactly. And Ellen was adorable. She came back and said, now, this doesn't really happen, does it? I went, well, did it in my house? <laughs> you know, and then I started, you know, checking with other people and other and online doing a little research. And uh, it was very much a part of the right. Swedish American family culture, you know, that kind of a thing. But if she hadn't asked those questions, I wouldn't have known I need to clarify some things for the reader so that it's understandable in today's contemporary world. Yes. My my editor, Brandy Bruce, she did the same thing. And uh, with the Irish traditions that I put in my book, and I grew up very, very Irish. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, same thing happened. And it's um, a good editor does that. They ask good questions. Um, they assess the content on a macro level and they look at the big picture. What does that look like? Um, they don't One thing when I was editorial director and I was hiring different editors. One thing that um, I came to realize is that there are a lot of editors that are out there and they learn to slash and burn your work. Um, sterilize it and make it so generic that the voice isn't there. I had one do that to me for an, yes. for a long article. I won't say who. Were you wounded? <laughs> I, well, I was because it was so sanitized that there was no voice. Right. And I knew it was for it was for an educational purpose, and it was a long, like fifteen page article, but. Mm. There are all of the examples that make it real to someone, like those word pictures, like the miniature horses rolling in the in the weeds, they were all gone. Yeah. 
And to and, me, I, that's what I love about learning is give me examples like that. Exactly. Well, and that, and that makes it real for the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was hiring different editors, they, if they stripped out on a writing test, if they stripped out the voice in there, it was like, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. <happy> yeah. <laughs> um, and I did get, um, I did hire one not knowing that that's what that person did. And it was a very tough struggle. Um, I had to really work to retrain that person, but that's how they were trained. Mm. So, so that's one thing you want to watch for. You want to, first of all, as a, as a creative, you want to develop your own unique voice. Now there's one thing that is really, really difficult for anyone to understand. And I, I'm going to say what I think it is, but then I want you to hone it much better. When I have mentored other writers, I say voice is your personality. The problem mm-hmm. with that is it's hard to understand that when you're writing different characters because they all have different personalities too. But it's, to me, the word choices, the sentence phrasing, that kind of thing that you would do. But that's still really enigmatic. So what right. would you describe voice as and how would you protect it as an editor? It. From when I look at it, it's the kind of the overall tone of how you write. Uh, for instance, uh, Jen Toronto, she writes this quirky, kind of off the cuff, little funny, a little, it's just quirky <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Whereas, like Melanie Dobson, she writes very thought provoking and um, sophisticated kind of writing. Um, if I were to take, um, if I were to say, what is your voice? Using these words, what would you choose? Practical, con- conversational, academic, humorous, reflective, inspirational, lighthearted, casual, uh, vibrant, narrative, sophisticated, authoritative, authoritative, what would you say, just off the top of the head, how you write? Me? Yeah. Oh, goodness. It depends on, on what I'm writing. But if I'm writing fiction, mm-hmm. I would say conversational. I would um, say that you know your voice. Okay. And if I and, was writing like nonfiction, I would say um, instructive, mm-hmm. but Good. more Good. enlightened. Okay, that's a good ter- word too. So you, if you kind of take those kind of adjectives and you think about it, everybody has their own tone um, and what their voice sounds like. And as you write and as you develop your writing, you kind of tend to do whatever's natural for you, and that's your voice. But when somebody takes your stuff and they strips that out of there and it's, it feels so sterilized or generic mm. that you really can't read into that. That loses so much of the life, the life-giving power of, it's like the blood in your body, you know. It keeps, it just takes that blood out of there and you just, the writing is a corpse. <laughs> okay, yeah, and I went to a conference once where I listened to a really, really, really big name author talk mm-hmm. about editing 
And that person, I'm not even going to say whether they were male or female, that person did exactly what you're talking about with people were able to turn in their samples. That person put them on the screen and stripped it. Yeah. And uh, it, it broke I, my heart. I sat there just vibrating with frustration and anger because I was going, there went the voice, there went the character, there went, I mean, there went everything. Right, exactly. An editor really works on the grammar and the style and the writing principles and all those kind of things that they should generally be able to explain every change that they have. They wouldn't. That would take forever. But um, they should be able to justify what they're doing. Now, on the other hand, um, as an editor myself, I've, I've played both roles, so I can talk to both things. Um, you know, we've, I've had people, and I can't tell you how many people, have said, God wants wants it this way. God told me this. Oh, article. my gosh. That is like the worst thing oh, ever. God, he's blamed for so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I was mentoring at a conference, <clears throat> you know, and people would pay to um, have a mentor for a half hour or something like that. And I tell you, I did this conference several years in a row, and I did this, and I t at least... Uh, one to three people out of say I'd do 12 or 15 in a conference would sit down and say that to me and the first thing you want to do is get up and walk away yeah well and that's and that that's, sounds harsh right it's a red flag don't do that writers <laughs> <laughs> and I promise I did not get up and walk away I gently tried to explain why that is such a generic element sure. that it, it doesn't work <laughs> I've had that at many writers' conferences as well. And you just, you don't, don't play the God card, people. <laughs> and, and don't whine and argue about small edits that really don't matter. Now, if there's something that really, if an editor comes in and changes your grandmother um, when it's, if she's a major part of your story or something, you can talk, converse about that. And, yeah. and in fact, that's what Ellen and I did. Because right. she, she thought, no, this isn't believable. I go, no, that's real. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. And here's a couple of tips as far as your author-editor relationship and how to work that. Understand the editor's point, point of view. She or he has the responsibility to balance everything. Um, they know the industry, they know their marketing department. <laughs> and so sometimes they have to pull out something if it's a little too, uh, spicy or dicey, if it's, mm -hmm. um, if it doesn't align with their phil philosophy or their, um, you know, if it's a Baptist or something and, and you're getting into the charismatic, something mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. you know, you, they may pull that for those reasons and you have to allow that. Um, but always, always, always people show respect to your editor. Um, and he or she should respect you as well. Uh, so that is a big point, a part of that relationship. Develop that mutual respect and, and how you can benefit each other and learn from each other. Be humble and trust God in that because um, God really, if you're writing... Christian Lee and you want your work to reflect him it's his work and so you want that to be 
you want to hold your you want to hold it lightly so that he can be glorified instead of you. <laughs> that is wonderful. Now tell us a couple titles of your books so that people can look for them online. My books? Mm-hmm. Um, Yours. The, the Fabric of Hope, An Irish Family Legacy. That's my fir- my debut novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, two nonfiction books are Countdown for Couples and The Remarriage Adventure. And my two picture books are Lexi- Lexi's Adventure in Kenya and Princess Madison's Rainbow Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And... I have a couple of books uh, out now this month, uh, which is, the first one is The Captive Brides Collection, which is historical romance, and it's a collection for busy women. There's nine stories in it. And the one coming out for writers that is releasing on November 13th is called Worthy to Write, and it's yeah. 30 prayers and devotions for writers to understand you are worthy to write and you were called to write. And we'll be back right after this. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to Lit Up on iTunes. You can subscribe also on toginet.com. It's all about having a more lucrative, creative career and picking the brains of experts that have walked those steps ahead of you. And be sure to share it with someone else that you know is really interested in building a lucrative, creative career. Has anyone ever said to you, man, that'd make a good story? Or you should put that down on paper, but you don't feel like you can do it. Those fears in your head, I can't let anyone read my stories. Who cares about what I have to say? Who would read anything I wrote anyway? I'm not special enough or original enough. If those are the fears flying through your mind like a plague of locusts, eating up your confidence each time you sit down to write, all those fears and more boil down to one problem, feeling unworthy. But you are worthy. God gave you a voice and all those ideas swirling in your head for a reason. To write them so that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can touch another person's heart. Let's tackle those fears together, because you are worthy to write. Pick up your copy of Worthy to Write on Amazon, in ebook or in paperback. It's from the Pencil Dancers team, Angela Breidenbach, Diana Lizier-Brandmeier, Liz Tolsma, and Jennifer Vanderclip. The Pencil Dancers are four published, best-selling authors who share their writing life wisdom each week on the Pencil Dancer blog, www.penciledancer.com. We want to help you know that you're worthy to write. We're glad you're back for more Lit Up. Now here's your host, Angela Breidenbach. And we're back with the editor extraordinaire, creative and analytical, Susan G. Mathis. And I have more questions for you, Susan, on editing, because we kind of talked about the idea of self-editing. And we do have to do this, but I want to hear what your tips are on self-editing. But I want to give just a little bit of a, I don't know, a caution that that's not where the project ends, is it? Absolutely not. <laughs> but but an, a publisher won't even look at the work if it's filled with errors. So you gotta you've got to do some editing even before you send it in. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, for me because they are so commingled inside of me because my skill sets, 
I have to be very drastic with myself. Now, this might sound silly, but this is what I do. Um, so I love tea. I'm Irish. What can I say? <laughs> so when I'm writing, I have a candle. I have a nice hot cup of tea, even in the summertime. I have. I sit generally at my kitchen table because it look, looks out at the front range and Pikes Peak and all the beauty of nature. Sometimes in the summertime, I'll sit out on my deck and write. Um, but I get nice and cozy and comfortable and have all my sensory stuff going on. I'm not one for playing music. Some people love having background noise. I don't. Um, but I that's how I enfold myself in creativity and in, in all of the senses. Now, when I'm editing, I am not at all. I'm sitting at a hard desk in a hard chair with a cold glass of whatever and no candle burning, nothing to distract me. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, some people actually, I've heard one, one girl actually puts on different hats. She puts a ball cap on to play in her creative side. And then she puts on a different hat physically to help her, her body to signal that it's a different discipline. Whatever works for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Find what works for you to separate those two because it'll help you to emotionally detach from your writing. It'll help you to get into the mode, into the discipline, um, and you just have to detach from that little baby. It's so cute. It's so sweet. It's, I just want to cuddle it, right? No. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so to being the disciplinarian, right? <laughs> It's going to be, if it's got something wrong in it and it needs a spanking, you need to spank it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I, I'd heard about the person with the hat. I thought that was kind of a cute idea. But I think the way I do it is, like, I create more in the late afternoon and into the evening and at night when the mm -hmm. world starts to slow down and the phone starts to stop and I don't have, you know, all those distractions. But my business side is in, in the earlier in the day in the morning, in the early afternoon. And I tend to edit, I think, in the morning, in the early afternoon. But until you said that, I didn't yeah. think about that. Yeah, oftentimes we just do what comes naturally. I'm a morning person, so my creativity is 9 to noon. Yeah, that's <laughs> <And> not I, <laughs> me. <laughs> after lunch, uh, yeah, exact opposite. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever works for you, find out what works for you. Find what will enhance that creative side and will enhance that editing side. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's you, you jump into it. My suggestion is that you do, when you're finished with your home manus manuscript, set it aside for a couple of days and go party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Created something. I mean, that's a big deal. And then come back to it with that editorial hat on and dig in. So you, first thing you want to do is you want to read it all the way through to see if there are big holes somewhere. Um, because sometimes you'll go, oh, wait a minute. Uh, I forgot all about Anna. She's She was back in Chapter 2, and I'd never mentioned her after that. I've done <laughs> that. I've seriously done that. 
all. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to do. So you got to just avoid the temptation to start rewriting immediately, but get the flavor of the whole thing. That's what an editor does. That's what um, that's the first thing that they would do was would be to read it all through and to start. I suggest I, people even print it out and have a highlighter. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great to have on the screen, and I love opening up track changes and write myself notes. Because, You're, like, when I'm in creation mode, I'll write yeah. myself notes to tell myself to research something later so that I can keep creating. But yeah. when I'm doing, like, that read-through, like you said, mm. I print it out um, mm. a little smaller. I don't necessarily do the, you know, double-sided or anything like that. I save paper and ink. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I go through with a highlighter... And I highlight something, yep. you know, and if it, and I actually sometimes do different colors. So if I highlight something in a bright pink or a, or a red that I can see through or something like that, or an orange, it tells me, Hey, you have a problem here. Yeah. And then I can make a note off to the side, you know, what to fix. And if I highlight something in green, it means everything is really great here. I love this section and then I might go back and look at that and go, why do I love that? And why don't I love that? You know, the red green kind of thing. That's great. You know? But yeah. Good, good, good. Well, you want to be critical and analytical. Now is your turn to do that, to make that happen. Um, you know, some people will just use Microsoft Word for their spell check and your uh, mm. edits stuff like that, and call it good. No, oh, you run into there, there, and there. Yes. Two, and two, and two. Exactly. It doesn't pick up a lot of stuff, so you can't rely on that, as a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, when you're in the initial steps of editing, um, first of all, I, I kind of look at it. Okay, I'm going to clean off the dirt. Any of the wordiness, the... Um, any problems with uh, punctuation or grammar or whatever, clean that up. And then start removing the redundancy, the passive voice. That's a big one. Mm, that's a whole show. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's a couple of shows. <laughs> your verb tenses, your accuracy of your timelines, your characters and your settings. You don't want Angie to have blonde hair when she has... She's a brunette, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all of those kind of things. Things that are also uh, you want to look at is eliminating Christianese or things that are distracting. Jargon. Oftentimes people forget to do that. Mm -hmm. um, then there's the show don't tell. That's 10 shows, right? <laughs> <laughs> took me a long time to get that one. <laughs> no, it's serious, yeah. In a view, that's a huge, a huge thing as well. What is, what is, I think I talked over you. I'm sorry. What oh, is? point of view. Point of yeah. view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, making sure your point of views are good. For me, reading it aloud to my husband, just hearing it helps me to see, hear my mistakes, my weaknesses, help. He catches some things. We're able to dialogue. And if he, he'll, um, say, oh, what do you mean by that? I don't, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so he, reading it aloud to him, uh, he loves that, and I love that. So that's a very helpful to me. I think so, that's a really special thing because I know I would not do that. To my, <laughs> my analytical husband would be going, I, I don't get fiction. 
their cat. There you go. Muse would love it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Whatever works, you know. Um, read it into you into a. Um, a tape recorder, whatever, you know, so that you can hear it. Yeah. Some, for some people hearing it, especially if you're an auditory, auditory learner, mm -hmm. you can catch a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, those are just a few ideas, you know, that's certainly not comprehensive. There are books and books out there yeah. about that. What are uh, a couple of books that you use as tools? Sure. Um, let me see. Well, if you're a beginner editor and you're just wanting to learn how to copy edit your own work, there's a, I've used this as a teaching tool several times. Mm -hmm. uh, I've actually taught editing to several people. Um, and it's called Substance and Style by Mary Stoughton, S-T-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. It's a workbook, but it is so helpful to really help you to learn and practice that discipline. So that to me is one of my favorites. That's a new one to me. I'm interested. Okay. What's another yeah. one? There's an also also one called Self Editing for Fiction Writers with uh Rennie Brown and Dave King. I have that one. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's I a good really one. I really like that one. Yeah. So those are about learning and growing in your self editing world. Um there's you know, a bunch of books, of course, just as far as books on writing and stuff like that. But those, I would say, were the two, if you were looking just at the editing aspect, to work, to look at those. No, oh, I think those are fantastic tools. So I have a question for you. Yeah. And um, I hope you'll answer. <laughs> Is your office clean and organized? Oh, gosh, yes. Really? Uh Oh, that's because yeah. you're an editor. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, when I was an editor pre-focus, mm -hmm. I wasn't so neat and tidy. But I, when you have nine different publications, 123 unique pages a month with a staff of five, you have to be organized. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I had... I had I was ultra organized. I had to be. Mm -hmm. So um, where true confessions, where I have a hard time being organized, is in my electronic filing system. I'm still trying <laughs> to figure out how to make that so I can easily find it. So and that's see, now it's my electronic one. I'm good with my desk is an absolute disaster. Okay, maybe we need to teach each other. <laughs> <laughs> I would say we could go on the show dressed up as left brain and right brain. <laughs> That's scary. Oh, I am so glad you've been with me today. Um, can you tell us again, where can we find you online and how can readers find your books? Sure. Um, any Anything Susan G. Mathis. My website is susangmathis.com. Facebook is... Uh, Susan G. Mathis, so is Twitter, um, Google, hey, uh, Google Plus, Goodreads. Um, I have a blog that I feature um, authors mm -hmm. on, and that people are really loving that. Um, so I have lots of different authors that are um, I interview every week. I on get Wednesday. to be on it! Yay! Thank you. I can't wait. Mm -hmm. um, 
Pinterest. Um, yeah. So author central, you, my books are on Amazon, of course, mm -hmm. and Barnes and Noble. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And there are links on my website to, um, to purchasing all of them as well. So be sure to go into any retail store or library and ask for Susan G. Mathis books. And if you, um, want to find out more about either Susan or I, you can also find us at christianauthorsnetwork.com. We each have a featured author page, and you can find out more about either one of us for speaking at christianauthorsnetwork.com. My name is Angela Breidenbach. Thank you for being with us today on Lit Up, and you can find me at angelabreidenbach.com and my books anywhere, my, anywhere books are sold. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks. It's been fun. Thank you for joining us on Lit Up. Light up your literary world. Expand your imagination. Enhance your life. Lit Up will be back next week with another great conversation. Join us, won't you, right here on Lit Up. There's no place I'd rather be.